Amen. Amen indeed. All right, if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Um, in your bulletin, it has uh, the entirety, perhaps, of 1 John 4, but we're really only going to uh, focus the bulk of our attention from, chapter se- uh, from verse number 7 down to verse number 21. Um, the first uh, six verses in chapter 4 talks about discerning the Spirit, and we've looked at the Antichrist um, before, and so we need not plow, uh, I guess, that ground again. But one of the things I want to point out is that John says in uh, verse number four that we have overcome this spirit of the Antichrist because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so that you and I as God's people have the power within us to discern and test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God. But there is something else in verse number seven uh, down to verse number 12 that God calls us to discern and it's his love toward us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at some characteristics of love um, today. And, uh, but before we do, let's read God's word, and then we'll pray together and dive into that. Hear now the words of God taken from uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 down to verse 21. And just for the, for the sake of time, we'll probably read uh, the, from verse number 7 to verse number 12. And then I'll point out various things in the text from 13 through 21. But for verse 7 through 12 is a bulk of what we're going to be looking at today. And it is such a powerful text in terms of understanding what love is. So here are now the words of God. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we, all, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be preached unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this glorious, wonderful day. This is the day that you have made. So help us as your people to rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, as we turn our attention now to the preaching of your word, I pray that you might speak, that the power of your Holy Spirit might rest upon us, your people, and that we might be transformed by the power of your words. Lord, uh, language will fail me today to communicate how glorious you are in your love. And language will fail me today to impress upon your people the need to rest safely in that love. But what I cannot do, because I am merely the creation, you please do as the creator. Impress these words upon their hearts, 
Anything that I do not say, Holy Spirit, come and say it for me. Anything that I cannot say, indeed, say it on my behalf. Bless us now, O Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, one commentator said that um, by the time you reach the first John chapter 4, verse number 7, it's like John has played the never-ending song. Here he goes again, talking about love. Um, and it's not surprising that he does. Um, in fact, many have said that chapter 4 of 1 John is the love chapter, the actual love chapter. Because not only does John, among the biblical writers, talk about love the most, this chapter actually mentions the word love the most. And the reality of it is that you and I have seen in the last three chapters, John talks about love all the time. In fact, that's the principal ethic by which he, he tells us that we should express toward one another. And here he is talking about it again. And the big question is why? Why is John returning to this matter of love again? And I personally think that the reason why John is talking about it again, and others have seen this as well, is John, before he ends his letter, really wants to go and drill deep and define what love is. We live in a society in which love is mentioned as all sorts of things, in terms of um, love is validating the other person regardless of what it is, or love might be never having to say you're sorry, or however people define love. But that's not how John defines love. Love in this text is something bold and wonderful and beautiful. And uh, there are four different characteristics of love that John lays out to this text that I want to share with you. The first of which is John talks about how love is foundational. Then he talks about how love is intentional. Then he goes on and says that love is reciprocal between you and I. And then finally, he talks about how love in and of itself is not hypocritical. And so we're going to look at that today. And as we go through this, I want you to really sort of think to yourself, is my love like this? Do I love others in these ways? Is, can these things be said of me? And, um, and I hope that is the case. So first of all, love is foundational. Notice with me in verse number 7 and 8. John begins again by saying, Beloved, let us love one another. Now he said this before and with good reason. Love for, one of, uh, love for one another should be foundational, a foundational ethic in our life. In fact, it's a part of the great commandment. Love for God and love for one another. Our orientation toward one another should be that of love. And in that sense, love is foundational. It's foundational to who we are. But not only that, John grounds this foundational reality, our orientation toward one another um, as being love, into something else. He grounds it in God, specifically in the person of God. Notice with me at the end of verse number 7. It says, uh, it says, not only beloved, let us love one another, but John says, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Then in verse number 8, he says, anyone who does, not, who does not love does not know God because God is love. You, do you see what John did? John takes this ethic of love, and instead of grounding it in an ideal, instead of grounding it in some mystical reality, he grounds his love in a person, the person of the triune God. 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And John says that if we are going to love other people well, we have to be able to love and to know the, the real source of love, which is the triune God. This is the kind of love that John is talking about. He's talking about the love who's found, or the, the love that is found in the Trinity. This is the kind of love, John says, that drives us to care for our enemies. It's the kind of love that relentlessly pursues the lost. It's the kind of love that protects the weak. It's the kind of love that causes us to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. It's the kind of love, John says, that causes us to give our all for the sake of the kingdom. That's the love that John is calling us to. And it's a love that's grounded in the person of Christ. We, we read this morning that passage from Exodus chapter 34 when uh, God reveals himself to Moses. And he says again, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's the way God has revealed himself to us as the God of love. Moses, when he recognizes this, the Bible says he bowed down his head and he worshiped because he could not believe that this God, the God, the creator of the universe, the God who is this powerful, the God who led them out of Egypt, that that God actually wants to enter into a covenant relationship with him. That was such a powerful reality that he, he bowed down and he just worshiped. He thanked the Lord for that. And that should be our heart's cry as well. We should be in a posture of constant worship and thankfulness to the God who wants to enter into covenant with us. Now, this concept of God being love is completely unique to Christianity. Uh, many scholars have noted and pointed out that outside of the Bible, there is no other deity presented primarily as a deity of love. In fact, in John's day, the Gnostics saw God as an immaterial spirit, or maybe that of light, but never once did they view God as love. But this reality of love, uh, God as love, is so important in our day because we have a society who is trying to separate love from God. That's the opposite of what John is doing. John is saying that when we think about love, we should think about love in connection with God. But we have a society that says, you know, it's possible to love people well without it being connected to God. And so we have a godless society. But as one commentator pointed out, a godless society is inherently a loveless society. And here's why I say that. Notice with me again, verse number eight. John says, anyone who does not love does not know God. Well, the reverse is also true. If you do not know God, you cannot love well. You know, it's not surprising to me that our society has moved away from the ideals that has been laid down in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this love chapter we often talk about. It's, no, it's not surprising to me at all that our secular society, because they've moved away from God, have moved away from the principle of love. It's not surprising to me that our secular society is no longer patient or kind, that it often envies and boasts that it's often arrogant and rude, that our society, our secular society, as it's moved away from God, often insists on its own way, that it's irritable and resentful, that our secular society um, rejoices in wrongdoing and vilifies the truth, 
And it certainly doesn't bear all things or believe the best or hope the best or endure all things. We live in a society that is so far away from what the Bible says is true love that it looks like something completely different. And whenever you separate love from God, yes, you might do a lot of good things. You might do a lot of things that's helpful. But when love is separated from a person, it's not the kind of biblical, desiring love that God would call us to do. And, and you might say, well, Pastor Dennis, why are you saying that? Here's why. Um, my, uh, uh, when my wife and I moved here with our children, uh, my wife said, listen, if, if once we move, I want a Roomba. Um, some of you know what a Roomba is. It's, it's one of those mechanical things that goes around and cleans the house. And so I said, fine, I'll, I'll do that. So I, I got her a Roomba, and she was so excited. And so she sets the Roomba timer, and it goes around, and, and it cleans up everything around. And she's, she's super excited about that. But what I've noticed is that when I, me, her husband, takes the time to go around the house and actually clean up, she gets really excited. And the difference is that this Roomba, as, as it goes around and cleans, it's not doing it because it loves my wife or loves my family or cares for my family. It's just doing it because that's what it was programmed to do. But when I do it, it's different because what, when I do it, I do it because I truly love my wife and that, that thing that I'm doing is connected to an actual person that loves and cares for us. And you can think about it in all sorts of ways. You know, we have machines that cook our food. But that's completely different from when someone you love, that person that you care about, cooks you a meal. We're on the cusp now of having um, driverless uh, vehicles, right? And one day you'll be able to, to call a driverless vehicle and it'll take you around and drive you wherever you want to go. But that's going to be completely different than someone who you love and care about picks you up and takes you on a drive. Why? Because when love is connected to a person, the fullness, the fullness of that and the expression of that becomes even more. Well, you say, Pastor Dennis, aren't we people? Can we express love like that? Yes, absolutely. But our secular society says that we're not just people, we're cosmic accidents. Our secular society is that, says well, we're nothing more than machinery. And here's what I know. If we're nothing more than cosmic accidents and we're nothing more than machinery, then we can't love. Because I have a machine in my house. Yes, it does a bunch of things, but you know what it doesn't do? It doesn't love. It's not doing it because it cares for me and deeply desires my good. But when love is connected to a person, specifically the person of God, then we know that that love is imbued with something that's cosmic and wonderful and beautiful because it's connected to a person. The same is true for us. Our love has to be connected to a person. It has to have its foundation and grounding in God. Now, not only that, not only is our love foundational, but the scriptures tell us that our love is intentional. Notice with me in verse number 9 and verse number 10. Here's what John says. In this is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. What does that mean? It means that God's love is intentional. God says that he sent his son into the world that he might be a propitiation for our sins. Now, some people look at this word sent 
And they think, wow, that's cold and distant. Here's a stern God taking his son and saying, you go down there and die for those people. And some have heard this, and, and certainly certain atheists have heard this, and they've described this as cosmic child abuse. Some of you have heard that statement before. But beloved, this is far from cosmic child abuse. The word there for sin has the idea of something that's intentional, intentionally done out of love. And when we talk about Jesus Christ being the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, we begin to see how God's love toward us was deeply intentional. Far from being cosmic child abuse, this is a sign of the great love of the Father intentionally giving us something that was most precious to him for those who were far off so that we might become most precious to him. It was his desire to give us that which is everything to him so that we might um, be taken into the number of his children. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, beautifully describes this act by which the father um, gives uh, his son this wonderful gift to us when he says this, divine love, and by divine love, he's talking about the love demonstrated in sending Jesus Christ to the cross. He calls this gift love. Gift love. Think about that for a moment. Far from being cosmic child abuse, he says this was a gift to us. The father gives all he is and has to the son. The son gives himself back to the father and gives himself to the world. This is the intentionality of the Father in which he sent his Son as a gift to the world to die for the sins of the world. Beloved, don't you see that? That we have the gift of the Son that was given to us in a very intentional way. You know, when I was a young man, I used to think um, that getting a quilt or something that someone made, um, I'll just say it, it wasn't a very good gift. Uh, you know, I, I wanted toys. And every now and then somebody would take the time to, to quilt something or to make something and give it to me. And I'm like, man, another, you know, another sweater, another quilted sweater or, or maybe some gloves. This isn't a good gift. But, but when I got older and I began to see how much time it took for someone to quilt something and knit something together. And since then, as, a, as, a, you know, as an older adult, that people have given me things that have taken a very long time to make that they've, they've sat down and intentionally knitted something or carved something or by artistic uh, methods draw something, uh, I start to think, wow, think of the time and the forethought, the intentionality that goes into making these things. And now I am so appreciative of it because I know the time and the energy and the effort that it takes to put these things together. And beloved, in the same way, I think us as Christians, sometimes we lose sight of the objective reality of the cross. That the cross in and of itself shows that Christ's sacrifice was intentional. It was done with extreme forethought and tremendous amount of thoughtfulness. But not only that, that it was given as a profound gift from our Lord. You know, I think John recognized this. 
Um, if you read through John's Gospels and even in his letters, he often, specifically in his Gospels, he would often refer to him himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, this is kind of arrogant, right? This is like, you know, um, every now and then I had a friend who would often tell their siblings that, you know, you know, mom and dad really loves me the most, like the best. And, you know, they just tolerate you, but, but everybody knows they love me, Right. And I'm like, is this what John's doing? Calling himself the disciples whom Jesus loved? Like, you won't find that in Matthew or Mark or Luke. It's only in John, and it's only said by John. He would often describe himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, let's take a step back and realize, I don't think it was because Jesus loved him more than he loved the others. I don't think that Jesus showed him more favoritism than he did anything else. I don't think that's the case at all. What I think is the case is that John, because he was so struck by the profound reality of what Christ came to do for him, and the gift and the forethought by the Father, John felt so loved by that that it felt like, yes, he was the only person in the world that Jesus loved. He was the only disciple that Jesus loved because he felt so loved by the Father. He was so struck by that. He felt like the most loved person in the world when he pondered the good gift and the intentionality of the Father toward him. Beloved, do you feel like that? Do you feel like the most loved person in the world? You know, sometimes I meet people and, and in counseling and talking to them, they said, you know, Pastor Dennis, I just don't feel loved. And I said, is that because objectively you're not being loved or subjectively you just don't feel the love that's being poured out to you? And truth be known, it's always subjective. There's no one out there, I mean, there might be one or two people out there that can objectively say maybe no one in the world loved them, but that's certainly not your experience if you're a believer. God has intentionally placed people around you to demonstrate and show you his love being poured out. God is very intentional in the way he not just loved you on the cross, but he continues to love you every day. And for John, yes, he could say without any hint of um, hypocrisy or any hint of boastfulness, he said, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. Yes, I am. Why? Because I see the intentionality. I see the grace that God has given me. Of course I feel that. And beloved, you should feel that too as a child of God. You should feel like the most loved person on the planet. You should say to yourself and you should look in the mirror, I am the child that God loves. And you should say it and be uh, blown away by that reality. All right, third thing, real quick. Notice that love is reciprocal. Now, John says this back and forth in verse number seven. He says, beloved, let us love one another. And then beginning at verse number 11, he says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Think of that. Think of the the reciprocal nature of love, that love is reciprocal. It's between each other. It's between one another. Now, this is completely different than the love sometimes that was manifested in John Day, and to be quite honest, is manifested in our day. And that's this kind of love that's transactional, 
Rather than being reciprocal, it's transactional love. What is transactional love? Well, transactional love is this type of love or this type of friendship that occurs when, when you and I enter into a friendship solely because of what the other can do for us. In John's day, you would have, in Greco-Roman society, you would have someone who's wealthy that would make friendships with someone else because they had beautiful daughters, and he wanted, you know, he had a few sons, and so they'd enter into friendship so they could marry their clan together. Or they would ma- enter into friendship because one was wealthy and the other one was wealthy, and they can trade goods. Their love for one another was based solely on what they can get from one another. It's transactional. But John, uh, John says our love should not be transactional. We shouldn't enter into friendships just because we can uh, get this from this person or we can use this person for something. John says that's not the way it's supposed to be. Our love is supposed to be deeply reciprocal in the same way uh, that love is manifested in the Trinity. The Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Father, the Father loving the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit loving the Father, the, the Holy Spirit loving the Son, the Son loving the Holy Spirit, and on and on and on. That level of reciprocity shows that we are deeply intentional towards one another, that we care for one another, that we look for ways that we can be a blessing to one another. That's what it means to have reciprocal love. It's not transactional, but it's rooted in deep... Um, It's rooted within the character of who God is. And that's the love that John says that we should have. Now, what does this um, reciprocal love look like? Well, Paul gives us an example of that in Romans 12.10. When he says that our love should be devoted to one another with brotherly affection. That we should outdo one another in showing honor. Think about that. Think about outdoing one another in love and honor. As in terms of reciprocal love. I, I remember growing up as a kid, um, we'd be in a basketball court, and we'd always try to outdo one another in terms of our shots and our trick shots. Just the other day, we were playing uh, in the gym where we were shooting back and forth with one another. And we would do all these weird tricks where you jump in the air or do a twirl. And I can't do that now. I have a little, you know, a little heavy on me. But back then, man, we'd, we'd put uh, ball, uh, the ball through our legs, or we'd do jump shots with our eyes closed. We'd always try to outdo one another in terms of these shots. But John is saying the same thing should be true now. Actually, basketball wasn't invented back then. I am saying we should do things like that now in the sense that we should always try to outdo one another in love. We should constantly be thinking of ways we can be a blessing to people. And and this way, if, if it's reciprocal and we're all doing it, no one feels like they're being taken advantage of. You know, I found in churches that so many people pull back on the way they're loving other people because they feel like they're being taken advantage of. Like Pastor Dennis, you know, I'm I'm doing everything I can and nobody appreciates that. Nobody ever calls me or writes me a note or nobody ever does this. And, you know, sometimes that's true. We, we, We don't think about how we can bless other people. Sometimes our love can be very selfish. We love being the one to get notes. We love being the one to get calls. But we never take the time to do the same. And John is saying, no, our love should be reciprocal. We shouldn't be selfish with our love. We shouldn't be always wanting the one to be blessed and and to be um, loved on. But we never take the time and effort to truly love on other people. And this is a safeguard against that. Because if each of us are trying to outdo one another in love, 
If each one of us is trying to outdo one another in terms of our care for one another, no one will ever feel like they're being taken advantage of, and no one would be accused of being selfish in the way they love one another. Uh, uh, Paul also tells us that our love, this reciprocal nature of love, should be patterned after God. He says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's how our love should be, patterned after God in Christ. Praise the Lord. The last thing I want to show you is that our love should not be hypocritical. Notice with me in verse number 20 and then 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now in the Bible, there are two ways that we can, we can be hypocritical. The first is this, is when we look down on others when we ourselves are flawed, right? When we look at others and say, oh, look at what they're doing, but we don't realize our own flaws. The second one is that um, when we profess belief in something and then act in a manner contrary to that belief. And that's the one that John is referring to here. When we say that we love God, think about what that means. Think about what that profession means. That we say to ourselves, we love God, we love and we want to serve God, John is saying, but then we hate our brother. In other words, we don't show that love toward our brother. John says that this is hypocritical love. It's not the genuine love rooted in the person and the work of Christ. And beloved, our love should not be hypocritical toward one another. One commentator put it like this, no one who has been to the cross and seeing the immeasurable and unmerited love displayed toward us should ever be hypocritical in the way we love. And John ends this portion of text saying that you and I, when we think about what God has done for us, how God has loved us in Christ, how is it that we can say that we love God, whom we have not seen, by the way? Think about that. You know, our our religion is sort of strange because this God that we've talked about is a God that we've never seen, a God that we've never interacted in in terms of the flesh. And here is your brother who you, who you can see, who you can interact with. We stiff arm them or we treat them poorly. And John says that's, that's incredibly, not only is that incredibly weird, but that's incredibly hypocritical. In fact, the way in which you love God tangibly, John is saying, is by loving others. Because it is through loving others that we see the blessing and the manifestation of God working in us to do his purposes in this world. We have a song called, If We Are the Body, Why Aren't Our Hands Doing or Our Legs Going and the like. And, and that song, every time I hear it, reminds me of the need for God's people to show forth the grace and mercy and love and power of God by actively pursuing one another. Not just those whom we love, but those that are far off to bring them in. And so, beloved, I hope today as we consider the love of God that we realize our love is foundational. I pray that we might realize that our love is not hypocritical, 
that our love is reciprocal, and that our love should be intentional. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you've given us a pattern of love that we can look at and we can see. But Lord, we need the power of your spirit in order to do it. And so I pray that we are. Help us to think about, as we try to love one another well, help us to think about what our love uh, means and how it looks. And help us to be intentional. Help our, our love to be grounded in you. Help us as your people to have our love be reciprocal and not hypocritical. Thank you for your goodness and grace and mercy toward us. In Jesus' name, amen.